I want to get to the text. And so uh, if you're not already there, if you have a Bible or a phone, uh, take out your, take it out and, uh, and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And we're going to look at this together. I'm going to make some observations about the text, and then we'll apply it to our lives. And I want to read it again because I kind of want to reorient us uh, back, to, back into this context of what Solomon has to say here. We, we know it's either Solomon or someone writing the voice of Solomon, what Solomon says. We'll, talk, we'll call him the preacher, what the preacher writes here to us this morning. And here's what he says. Who's like the wise man who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. I say, the preacher says to us, keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king. Do not join him in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble, for a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every delight, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? No man has the authority to restrain the wind with the wind or the authority over the day of death. There's no discharge in the time of war and evil will not deliver those who practice it. All this I have seen and applied my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt. Now, if that sounded like a bit of dry toast to you, that's probably because it is. I turned to Ecclesiastes chapter 8 this week. I read Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and I thought I'd just stand up here and go, okay, let's everybody turn over to John 3.16. That's where we're going to be today. No wonder that Lloyd and Rob are gone this weekend. <laughs> right? Yeah. Imagine this teaching planning meeting. Like, I'll take one. You take two. This is good. Oh, chapter 8. Hey, let's call Wellens. He can come in there. He'll do that. So thanks, guys. What a privilege it is to be here this morning. We'll give Ecclesiastes 8 a shot. And here's the context for our passage today. The preacher is making observations about life in a fallen world. We've seen that over the course of Ecclesiastes. He's gone to wisdom now, beginning in chapter 7 and into chapter 8. He's giving wisdom, wise counsel, for how we might live wisely in the world today. And in this case... He's in the ancient Near East, and he's talking about political authority. What does it mean to live wisely under the king? The king is the political authority in the ancient Near East. And so Solomon is speaking to a courtier. That is someone who serves in the court of the king, someone who interacts with the king on a regular basis, and he's giving him counsel about how to live wisely underneath the king. And in this passage, we're going to learn a couple of things. We're going to learn some things about the king, okay? And we're going to learn some things about living wisely in the king's kingdom, under the king's authority. And here's how I want to do that. I'm going to talk about two kingdoms. I'm going to talk about a temporal kingdom, and I'm going to talk about an eternal kingdom. The temporal kingdom of yesterday, that is our text, the king, and what it is to live under the authority of the king. I'll come out of that and I'll mention briefly another temporal kingdom, and that is our temporal kingdom, okay, the political authority that we live under today, and how do we live wisely in that. And then we'll conclude with tomorrow, that is the eternal kingdom, a kingdom that is coming, the kingdom 
of God. And the reason that I want to do that is because everything we find in Ecclesiastes, all the sobering realities about this fallen world that we live in now, they point to another world. They invite us to consider not just today, but what's coming. And so I want us to end with the eternal kingdom and compare it to the temporal one. The guys are going to put this up on the screen behind me. Temporal kingdom, eternal kingdom. We're going to answer two questions about each. You'll see them come up here on the screen. We're going to answer the question, what's true about the king? How do we live wisely in the kingdom? We'll do the same thing as it relates to the eternal kingdom, okay? So, so we're going to look at the text, and we're going to see what is true about this king. And I'm going to name some things here, and we're going to kind of pick through the verses as to the characteristics of this king. And then we'll go back through these same verses to talk about how to live wisely with with and under this king. So first, I'll say it this way, the king's authority was absolute, okay? That'll pop up behind me. The king's authority was absolute. Look look at verses three, four, and the first part of five. Do not be in a hurry to leave him, to leave the king. Don't join in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble. Now, what do we find here about the king? Well, we know it from the text here. He is authoritative. He will do whatever he pleases. He is the royal command. We know it from the text and we know it from the ancient Near East. We know that the king was supreme. He wasn't accountable to anyone. He had unlimited power. He was decision maker, lawgiver, and judge. He could not be questioned. He would not be challenged. He was in total control. This guy sounds like an absolute joy to work for, doesn't he? Well, first, his authority was absolute. Second, his character was deeply flawed. Well, where did we see that in the text? Well, we see that in this phrase back in verse 3. He will do whatever he pleases. Solomon is describing a very selfish king a king who worshiped himself, a king bent on pursuing his own personal interest. It was a kingdom that was all about him. We know this to be true from the day and age. The Pharaoh in Egypt, he believed himself to be a god. There's no more selfish than that. The Caesar in Rome, he called himself a god, the unlimited authority, and it was true of kings in Israel as well. In fact, we know this about Solomon. Solomon did whatever he pleased, right? We've heard this throughout the book. I've pursued every pleasure on the sun. Everything I've ever wanted, I've gotten. Wealth, possessions, wives, power. I've done all that is pleasing to me. That's consistent with our text this morning. It was Lord Acton, a British politician in the 19th century who said, and you'll know this, he said, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts Absolutely. That's certainly true here. This king's character is corrupt. Absolute authority, his character is deeply flawed. And third, his rule was harsh. This king abused his authority. And we see that highlighted in verse 9. So look at that verse. All this I have seen and applied my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun 
common phrase, wherein, specific phrase, a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt. This is a king who exercises his authority in a way that is oppressive, that is ruthless, and that brings harm not only to his court, but to the citizens of his kingdom. Okay, So we know some things to be true about the king. How is it now that we live wisely in his kingdom? And the author here, the preacher, Solomon's words, he has more to say about what it is and how it is that we live wisely in the king's kingdom. And here's the first thing that he says. He says that the wise submit to the king's authority. Submit to this king? Yeah. Yeah, this king. How do we do that? Well, look at verses 2 and 3 again. He says, keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. That's one reason. Do not be in a hurry to leave him. There's another example. Do not join in an evil matter. There's a third, for he will do whatever he pleases. What is this oath before God? Why do we submit to the king because of the oath before God? Well, we actually don't know here if this is an oath that the king makes before God or if this is an oath that the courtier makes before the king. What we do know from the history of kings in Israel is that God is the one who appoints kings. Israel asked God, would you put a leader over us? Would you make a king for us? God says yes. He appoints all the kings of Israel. And as the people of God, they were called by God to submit to the earthly king as God's anointed. So Solomon's reminding us here, this is not just a human thing. This is a God thing. It's wise to follow the directives of the king. Okay. Second phrase, don't be in a hurry to leave. It was inappropriate, disrespectful in this culture, even disloyal to leave the presence of the king without being dismissed. So the comment here is is something more like this. It's something more like when and if you get frustrated with the king and his decisions, you don't turn your back on the king and leave. That could cause you trouble, the text says. That, That could cause you harm or hurt. So we have wisdom in the king's presence here in the text. And then finally, don't join in an evil matter. And again, some of these phrases are just ambiguous. The the most prominent interpretation of this phrase is actually not evil or wicked as we think about it today. But these two words together in this context, in this day and age, they actually represent something more like a bad idea. Evil matter, bad idea. So, So if you have a bad idea before the king, don't keep fighting for it. That's wise. Don't keep arguing with the king over something, a suggestion that he, he doesn't like. This helped me a lot. One Old Testament scholar, Sam Bartholomew, who's really good, he talks about it this way. He says this, once the power of the king is regarded as absolute, okay, we said that, once the power of the king is regarded as absolute, then any difference of opinion with him ironically becomes an evil matter. See that? You're against the king if he doesn't like it. Make sense? Because of his authority. Now look at verses 5 and 6. We we see that it's wise to submit to the king's authority in other ways as well. Here's verse 5. He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble. For the wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. For there's a proper time and procedure for every delight, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. In our vernacular, we might say it this way. We might say, there is a time and place for everything. 
And the wise know the time and place, the time and place to say something before the king, the time and place to shut up and listen to the king. That's, that's what Solomon's saying here. And, and isn't that true about the wise? Isn't that true? You know, when I, I want you to think, why don't you do this too? Think about a wise person in your life. Now, not just somebody that's really smart and knowledgeable, but I'm talking about the truly wise, the one who, when you can present some complicated thing that's going on in your life that, that can just pierce through it and help you simplify it and clarify it. That, that kind of wise, it's a rare commodity, isn't it? Think about a wise person in your life. I, I've done the same. And you know what I notice about wise people? It's, it's very interesting because it's kind of counterintuitive. They actually listen more than they speak, right? We go to them for wisdom, but they're asking us questions. They're listening. They're trying to understand. They're cautious. They're careful. They're respectful. And, and then when they do actually speak, and it, it's like after I've spoken for an hour and they're about to give me one minute and it's going to pierce through all that crud that I just went through for an hour, it, it's actually when they speak, they, they don't say everything they could say. They just say the thing that matters most. Isn't that true about the wise? Well, that's what we see here. It's, it's wise to understand that there's a time and a place for everything. It's wise to understand that there's a time to advise the king, a time to back off. Well, the wise know that. Now, I want to make one final comment on submitting to the authority to the king because I, I don't want to confuse us here. Submission, and this is true in our day and age, this is true today, Submission is not blind passivity, okay? It's not that we don't, that we, or that we participate in wrongdoing or that we don't stand up for something that is right. It submits unless it crosses up the boundary of God's authority, right? And Jesus said it best. He said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Respect Caesar for what is Caesar's, and render to God what is God's. He said that to the Pharisees when they were asking him about political authority. So that's the way we approach this. If that boundary gets crossed, then we are loyal citizens of God's kingdom first, right? And there's plenty of examples of this in the Old Testament where we are, okay? So we submit to authority. That's the first way that the, the wise live. And the second is the wise know something's missing in this temporal kingdom. They know that something's missing here. There's an emptiness they feel. They know this isn't all there is. They know there's something more. They, they know there's something missing, and get this, and they remain patient. You see, patience is a key attribute for the wise. The wise understand that this is a sinful human king. They understand that they live in a broken and fallen world. They understand that this world is not going to be made whole by human hands. So they get dissatisfied, frustrated. Yeah, they do. We all do. And they have realistic expectations about outcomes and solutions. They get frustrated. They do. They they don't let their frustrations own them. They live in the tension, and get this about the wise, they're okay in the tension. They're okay living in the tension. I don't know about you, but that's pretty convicting to me. It is so hard to live in the tension with patience when everything around me, including my own life, is broken, frustrating, and it makes me anxious and fearful. 
patient. Patient for what? Well, patient for something that is coming. There's something missing here. In fact, that's number three. The wise know what's coming. Well, what's coming to this king and this kingdom? In the text, I'll say it bluntly, death is coming to the king. That's, that's how the text says it. Look at verse eight. No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the day of his death. So this king's power, though it is absolute in all the earth, it is actually limited by one thing. What's the one thing? I just read it. Death. His power is limited by death. He cannot control his own destiny. He cannot escape death. Just like no man has the authority to restrain the wind, he doesn't know when, he doesn't know how, and he can't keep his death from happening. The wise know that. They know his kingdom's coming to an end. They know that earthly power passes away. They know this is a temporal kingdom. Now, we see it here in the text, and, and, and I want to make some comments in the same format about our political authority today. And I'm not going to put all these words up here because there are some common themes. Most of the words actually can stay the same. What is it for us? What's true about our political authorities? And of course, I'm talking about here president, congress, judges at a state level. We're talking about governor, state legislature, state judges, our political authority. What is it like to live under political authority, what's true about our political authority, and then how do we live wisely in the kingdom? Now, I'll start with the first one. I don't know that we'd say absolute. It's not absolute. There are checks and balances to our system. It's a democracy, not a monarchy, right? Uh, we have freedoms. We, we have uh, um, beliefs. We, we have the opportunity to express those things. There are, truths that are, uh, there are truths about democracy that are different than a monarchy, but when we take all of those things together, we take all of our political authority, even those that we elect, those that are appointed, we take all of that and all that it entails, we too live under authority. We do. Not absolute, but authority. Uh, no one in here will deny that a policeman doesn't have the authority to give you a speeding ticket. Nobody denies that. No one in here will deny that a judge has the authority to make you pay the speeding ticket. Those are just traffic issues, traffic violations. There are civil issues that have consequences, criminal issues that have consequences. We have a proper decorum in a court of law. If you've been in a court of law, we stand. When the judge walks in the building, there's a proper time and procedure. We speak when it's our time to speak. We listen when it's our time to listen. We are a people who live under authority, right? We do. And second, our political authority is deeply flawed. I don't think I have to take very long to convince anyone of that, right? It is. Unfortunately, it is. We see it all the time. It's hard to look at the news and not see someone whose character is on display because they've made some very poor decisions or they've used their authority in poor ways. We see it often. Some are foolish, some are arrogant, some are deceitful, some are greedy. Many are bent on their own personal interests like the king. Now we have to say this, some have integrity, right? Some are public civil servants that their interest really is the interest of the region they serve, their constituents. We have that too. But we know this about our political authority. 
all are sinful. All are flawed. All are fallen. They're like us. And they're trying to lead in a broken and fallen world. So they're flawed human beings. And then I I wouldn't say that the rule is harsh. I I don't think many of us would. Some might. But I, I would say that on the whole, their rule is inadequate. It's deficient in some ways, isn't it? Partly because they're flawed human beings. Partly because it's hard to get consensus in this day and age. Partly because they're leaders who, who say things and communicate things that frustrate, polarize, and alienate. Their leadership on the collective whole is inconsistent. So it's not rule like oppressive or harsh, but it's also foolish to think about contemporary democracies as exempt from the abuse of power. It happens here too. So that's true about our political authority. Now, how do we live wisely underneath that authority? How do we live wisely with regard to our temporal kingdom? Well, the first, number one, I think the same is true. We submit to authority. We exercise the same kind of respectful submission that we see in the text. And we do that for two reasons. Why, Why do we do that? Well, first... We do it for a very practical reason, and I just mentioned it a moment ago. There are consequences if we don't submit to the rule of law, right? We don't submit to our authorities. There's consequences. That's the practical reason. But there's also a theological reason. And I just touched on this very briefly, but it's true today, and I want you to see it in the New Testament. But God has appointed our leaders as well. We submit to our authority because God has designed our government, governments across the, the, the world even, for human good. He's designed them for our benefit, and as such, they shouldn't be taken lightly, right? God appoints leaders. Paul says this in Romans. Here's the New Testament passage, Romans chapter 13. He says this, Be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority, none, no authority anywhere at any time except from God. Hear that? And those which exist, those governments which exist, they are established by God. You see, our submission here is an important part of our submission to God. We submit here because we submit to him. If we don't submit to here, then we don't submit to his sovereign rule and authority. And that's a problem not just between us and our political authorities. That's a problem between us and God. So I might just pause here and ask you, how's your attitude toward political authority today? Uh, Can you speak respectfully about those in authority? Can you disagree with policy without disparaging the one who offered it? Can you do that? Do we pray for our leaders? Uh, Do we trust God that God actually put them in in, in place and, and that in somehow, in some way, though it doesn't look like it to us, they are actually accomplishing God's redemptive plan and purpose on earth? Do you have some compassion for flawed leaders because you know your character's flawed too? How's your attitude toward political authority today? (laughs) You know I hate this passage. (laughs) That was hard. That's hard. 
maybe there's some things that you need to change as well. Well, two, we, we also know that something's missing. Living wisely in the kingdom, we, we know something's missing and we remain patient as well. Show of hands, how, how many of you in here today, I want you to raise them high, are dissatisfied with some aspect of government? Raise them high. Almost touching the roof. Everybody, almost everybody, right? Well, good. Something's missing. It's broken, there's holes, there's gaps in our earthly institution. They're flawed, they're hollow. And listen to me, on this side of Christ's return, that will always be true. Human government won't ever solve those issues. Do we still engage in issues, stand for what's right, make things better? Yes, absolutely. Do we believe that government change will fully solve the underlying issues with human authority? No, never. And the wise remain patient in that tension because we too know what's coming. The end of this temporal kingdom is coming. The leadership that's in office today and the leadership that's going to be in office in January and the leadership that's next and next and next and next, their leadership will come to an end. It's temporary. All power on earth will pass away. Every one of them will be short-lived. And this side of the cross, we stand on this side of the cross as opposed to where Solomon stood on the other side of the cross. We also know that something else is true now about what's coming. We know that this world as we know it will end. We know that there's another kingdom coming. We know that there's a king who will rule and reign forever and ever whose kingdom will have no end. We know what's coming. So the wise who live in this temporal kingdom today, you know what they do? Here's what they do. They worry less about today and they long more for tomorrow. That's what the wise do today. We worry less about today and we long more for tomorrow. The wise live in this world. We care, we show a concern, we engage in issues that we believe are right. We engage things that we believe are wrong. We live in this world, but we're not of this world. The wise aren't of this world. They know they were made for another world. Feel frustration and pain, tension, but it doesn't shift us off course. We get upset, but we know there's something bigger that anchors, anchors us. There's something greater that is coming. It's the eternal kingdom. And now for us to compare the temporal kingdoms that we saw in the text yesterday, today, our political authority, and compare it to the eternal kingdom. What is true about the king? The kingdom of Jesus Christ. What's true about Jesus? Well, first, and we'll say this, Jesus has absolute authority as well. Well, wait a minute. We just said that about the king. How is Jesus' authority different? Well, remember I said one thing that limits the king? What's the one thing that limits the king's absolute authority? You remember? Death. It's death. Well, death doesn't limit Jesus Christ. He has absolute authority over all the expanse of this earth and into the heavens and beyond. His authority is not limited. It's not bound by time or space. It knows no bounds, not even death. You see, this king, Jesus, he died, but death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. 
He raised from the grave. He was sinless. He didn't deserve to die. He died on our behalf. He did it anyway. But the tomb cracked under the pressure. The tomb couldn't hold him. Death had never seen this before. They had, death had never held a sinless, holy, and righteous king. And death didn't know what to do with it. Power was too great of this king, of Jesus Christ. Listen to Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 1. God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at a right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above, far above all, key word, rule and authority, far above all power and dominion, far above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Do you have a name? Your parents have a name. Your ancestors have a name. Everyone before you have a name. Everyone after us will have a name. Over every single name. That's a ton of authority. The dead and the living. Jesus Christ has absolute authority in all things. Now, I want to be clear here as well. When we talk about the kingdom of God, we're actually talking about it in two ways. We're talking about it as already and not yet, right? It's already here in that the kingdom of God rules in the hearts that have placed their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. The kingdom of God is here, it rules, one of our key words, it rules in the hearts of men and women and we see glimpses of the kingdom here and now through men and women that God is changing, right? That trust him, that are sanctified by him. It is already and it is not yet. It has not been fully consummated yet. It has not been made whole yet. So it has commenced, but it has not been fully consummated. And that will happen when Jesus returns again to install his full and final kingdom in place. Okay. So we actually, here today, you and I as followers of Jesus Christ, we live actually in two kingdoms right now. A temporal kingdom, right? And an eternal kingdom. Kingdom that's on its way. And that's the one that will fulfill our deepest desires and longings, okay? So Jesus has absolute authority. Two, Jesus' character is not flawed. It is flawless. His character is perfect. He's holy. You know what that means? While he was here on earth, though tempted in every single way, he lived without sin. Every single way you and I are, he lived without sin. That means his actions, his words, his facial expressions, his nonverbals, none of that held sin. Holy, perfect, righteous. He never changes. He's never inadequate. He never contradicts himself. He is truth personified. There is nothing about his character that could bring harm to you or to me. And it is impossible for him to act in any way contrary to his character. Flawless, not flawed. And then third, his rule is, is not harsh, but it's loving and just. You know this about Jesus. The expanse of his love is unimaginable. We can't comprehend it. The storehouse of his love is limitless. It's true in his death, it's true in his life. That's only just beginning. I think we'll find his love to be so much more than we even know now. His love is incredible 
in the way that he rules. He's good. He seeks the highest good for you and me. He's just. He's honorable in every action, righteous in every way, without mistake. He always acts in accordance of what is right and true. Can you imagine if we had judges in our world today that always act in accordance with what is right and what is true? Impossible today, true about Jesus Christ. He always acts in accordance with what he did for us on the cross. Get this, he is not only just, but he is justifier. His righteousness imputed to us because of his, sin, his death for us, for our sin on the cross. He is just, his justice reigns, and he is justifier of us so that we don't have to sit under the wrath of his justice anymore. Holy cow. His rule is glorious. Our expectations will be far exceeded. Our joy will be made full. We will be completely satisfied in his presence. Our peace will surpass all understanding and it will be glorious. It will. Three, the wise, uh, we also know what's coming. We also know what's coming. We live fully submitted to the kingdom of God. I missed that one. We'll go back there for a minute. Fully submitted to and dependent on divine authority. The authority of Jesus Christ. So it's similar over here, but this is divine authority. It's difference. Fully submitted to, fully dependent on. You know what that means? That means we trust him by faith. We trust him when we can't see through the fog. Trust him when we can't understand why he's doing what he's doing. We trust him even in our pain. And how do we do that? How do we trust him? Well, Lloyd said it this last week. He said it this way, we can trust God's actions because we know God's character. We just talked about it. The character of God is flawless. We, we trust him because we know he's trustworthy. We know his words are true. His promises are real. He is good. He has our best interests at heart. And we trust him because he died for us. How can you not trust somebody who was willing and did die for you? How could you not trust him? Well, we can because of his character. Second, this will go up on the screen as well. The wise know that in the God's kingdom, nothing will be missing because Jesus will be there. Nothing will be missing because Jesus will be there. I just mentioned that everything will be made whole, no holes, no gaps, no emptiness, no brokenness, no fractured relationships, no illness, no pain, nothing unfulfilled. There won't be in his presence. And finally, this is number three, the wise know what's coming, not death, but life. Eternal life, abundant life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ will be ours. We'll pass through death into life just as he did. We will be raised and we will join him on his throne. Get this, you see, Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. Do you know that? Listen to what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 1. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. By Christ's doing, you are in him. Who became to us wisdom from God? He is wisdom from God. The wise in God's kingdom pursue a person named wisdom. And because their eyes are set on him, they know this world is temporal. They know his kingdom is coming. And they know he will rule as the King of kings and the Lord of lords forever and ever. 
And we always pause and ask the question, so what? How do we take this truth, what you've heard, what you've read, and apply it in your life today? And I I want you to do that. I'm going to ask you a question to think about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in this. And, And here's the question I want you to consider this morning as we close. I'll actually ask it three ways because one might resonate with you more than another. Here's here's the question. What aspect of your life do you need to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ right now? Okay. What aspect of your life are you trying to control or manage or manipulate that you you need to submit to his authority instead? That's one way to ask it. Here's a second. What aspect of your life do you need to take out of the context of the temporal kingdom and put it in the context of the eternal kingdom? Make sense? What what aspect would you see differently if you weren't just peering at the here and now, but if you thought about it in the context of the eternal kingdom, how might it look different? Okay. Second way to ask it. Here's a third. What aspect of your life do you need to worry less about today and let your heart long more for tomorrow? What aspect? Take, Take a minute and answer that question before the Lord, and then I'll send this out. Father, would you give us wisdom through your Son as we pursue him to live wisely. Give us counsel, advice, perspective, direction to live wisely in our temporal kingdom. And would you give us eyes to see the kingdom that's coming. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stand with me? I'm gonna send us out with a word from Paul in Romans chapter eight. Man, this is a great summary of the text that we've been in today. I'm so glad Paul wrote it by the power of the Spirit in him. Here's what he writes. For I consider that the sufferings of this pleasant time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revelation of the Son of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Remember that word? Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. God appoints rulers in the hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and into the freedom of the glory as children of God. Go in peace in the love and faith of Jesus Christ.